Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point, frustrations of a common man Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor Like what's the use of my kids, can't taste clean water A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice Remember ancestors, anguish, lightning in our veins Hear it in a language when they are kissing for the rain I am product of people that persevere, persecution Paint me so creator sees me if I go out shooting Experience our pain when our women disappear daily Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptation? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest My name is Amber Dion, and I am from the Kihiwan Cree Nation here in Treaty Six Territory. I'm a mother, a social worker, and assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host. Welcome, my name is Terry Sungens. I'm from Salt Lake Cree Nation, and I'm the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Kihiwetsin at McEwen University. We are so honored that you chose to join us today. So welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. Today we're really excited to have Dr. Raven Sinclair join us. She is from Gordon First Nation and works for the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Saskatchewan. Thank you for joining, sorry, University of Regina. Thank you for joining us, uh, Raven. I'm just going to give you some time to take the opportunity to uh, introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, I'm Raven Sinclair. Um, I am from uh, Gordon's First Nation, a Cree, Assiniboine, and Soto Territory, uh, but I, did, I didn't grow up there. I um, was actually born in Oyen, Alberta, and uh, then I grew up in Saskatoon, spent, started school in West Germany, and, uh, and then primarily grew up in uh, Ontario, so Toronto and Kingston. Um, I, started, I started university in Toronto back in 1980, 81, and I, I never left. So um, here I am now, a professor, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I really love the work that I do. Um, but I balance, I try to balance it with um, other interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really enjoy, you know, I started doing a little bit of filmmaking, and uh, in my spare time, I, um, I renovate things, mm. <laughs> houses. I build stuff, and my go- my goal this summer is to learn how to arc weld. Oh. What what mm-hmm. is that, Raven? It's welding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> welding using electricity instead of uh, oxyacetylene it doesn't oh. matter. I, I want to build. I want to build like dinosaurs out of scrap metal. That's, <laughs> Very that's cool. That is cool. Raven Sinclair, <laughs> professor slash dinosaur builder. <laughs> dinosaur slayer. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the questions we have for you, uh, Raven, was um, to maybe go into depth about what is Indigenous social work? That's that's a big question. You know, <laughs> so back in 2001, when I was at the Faculty of Social Work in Calgary, and I had just started my PhD, um, that was something that I was I was interested in. Because I, I have one of my undergraduate degrees is uh, is in Indian social work and uh, it's now Indigenous social work, and um, but the, you know there wasn't really a lot of literature out there that really articulated what it was that we were doing, mm-hmm. and um, and yet we were doing it mm-hmm. in in that school in particular. You know, it was an Indigenized program, and for me as a as a kid of the '60s scoop, it was really. Um, Oh, it was just so excellent because it was the first time I'd been, you know, after how long was that? That was like 14 years. It was the first time I'd been in a program that had a foundation of indigenous knowledge, mm. ceremony, uh, you know, protocols and worldview. And, and then, um, 
you know, and sort of secondly was the generalist social work training. Mm-hmm. Um, and the historical part was really important for me because as an adult, I'd become really curious about the 60s scoop. And uh, I didn't I didn't have a way really to contextualize it sort of on my own. Mm-hmm. So then when I, when I was at uh, First Nations University, it was the Saskatchewan Indian Federated College back then, but it really, uh, you know, being sort of immersed in in an in Indigenous world, um, I had, you know, I had reacculturated, met my family and my community and so on, but being immersed in it um, academically and then just, you know, socially and spiritually was really profound for me and really, really helped me to contextualize my experience as a, a child of the child welfare system uh, in into the context of colonial history mm-hmm. and uh, you know we were we were really inundated with colonial history and and indigenous literature and sort of in you know not only uh, like in English Janice Kuss taught us uh, you know all the books we read were indigenous authors and uh, you know and, and all the other classes all we, we drew upon indigenous scholars wherever possible mm-hmm. and now you know the kids are fortunate because the kids <laughs> listen to me <laughs> all over here <laughs> the youngins are really fortunate because i think there's a real wealth of information and they can they can just really saturate themselves in all kinds of really great ideas mm-hmm. so at the time when i was doing my phd i i created a uh, I did a paper on indigenous social work and, you know, tried to articulate what it was. And that's, that's what my article came out of. It was actually, it was actually one of my PhD, one of my doctoral class classes papers. And um, so that was, uh, um, what's the name of that article? <laughs> <laughs> Aboriginal social work in Canada. I was just going to say, uh, I remember. In Canada, <laughs> the seventh generation, which interestingly, you know, is one of the most downloaded articles from, uh, First Nations Child and Family Caring Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they re- republished it last year, which is kind of nice. So free publication for me. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I go back to that definition that I created and um, and it still holds true. It, it really does. I I look at it sometimes and I think, is this ready for revision? And I, and I can't really, I, I can't really think of how, how it would be revised. So maybe it'll have to be a younger, smart, smart, smarty pants who will come along and say, hey, Let's let's revise it like this, and I'll go go for it. Mm-hmm. So you know, but I remember writing it. I remember writing it, and and this is this is Indigenous social work because I was I went into another space, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was into the spiritual space, my Indigenous space, my Indigenous self, and sometimes in that space when I'm working, it's as if the words need to be said. It's not really me saying them. I'm just channeling it. Mm-hmm. And so that was that. That was the experience I had in creating that definition because you know I had the lived experience of going through uh, my undergraduate. I had the lived experience of going through my master's program. I had the lived experience of working in the field and working with a number of different people um, and in different contexts, clinical and child welfare primarily. And it all sort of came together, you know, in, at that at that time. And I and I uh, and I just remember being really reflective and thinking, okay, what is it that I've done? And and that and the, and I just and the words just came out, and they came out really easily. And so and the fact for me that that it seems to resonate for people, and that resonates for me, I you know I I can't really uh, revise it yet. Um, is tells me that yeah, I really really I really was sort of maybe channeling a little bit of a higher wisdom or being guided at least uh, mm-hmm. by a higher wisdom uh, to articulate it. Um, and I remember, you know, encountering in the writing of it, encountering that sort of tension around trying to marry or trying to yeah, synthesize an indigenous worldview and way of being, which is so vastly different from a Western uh, you know, epistemology, ontology, ontological, epistemological sort of perspective. Um, trying to trying to trying to co- trying to reconcile that with this Western 
generalist social work education, which, I mean, you can go through that. You can go through that experience without ever sort of reflecting upon yourself. Right. Without ever sort of considering the world around you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to <laughs> other people even. Because mm-hmm. you read the stuff and then you regurgitate it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like any, any sort of Western educational system. And I have seen students do that. Um, and it's tragic because I think it doesn't make for very good social workers, mm-hmm. but I think it's true in sort of any profession. There are people who really, you know, it's their life's work and they're really invested in there. Other people, it's like, oh, it's going to get me a good job at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and what I really came to understand in the Indian social work program was that it was our lives. It was the lives of our people. Yes. And so we, we had to make a, a greater investment mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, take it seriously. And yeah. And so that's the stance I took and that's, that's the stance that I've taken from mm-hmm. that point on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. We, uh, Amber and I are uh, Blue Quills babies. <laughs> and so Amber and I are Blue Quills babies. So we've, we've uh, attended Blue Quills and been immersed in uh, Indigenous knowledge and, and did our, our degrees with elders and uh, Indigenous scholars. And so we've been really grateful to be able to have that, um, that opportunity um, that many people don't have. Um, do you want yes, to... Yes, my understanding that would be... A program that's very similar to the one at uh, at SIFC. That's just sort of what comes to mind at First Nations University, mm-hmm. and perhaps even a little bit more so mm-hmm. because you're 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 sort of out there in the bush a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you having sort of immediate access to land, whereas ours was downtown in Saskatoon. Beautiful building, quite a similar building actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but but surrounded by you know residential houses. Um, one of the things, it's interesting you say that because I was just at Blue Quills uh, on Friday, on Thursday, and uh, I went sit with the current president there, Sherry Chisholm, and they were having a round a sun round dance, a Sundance uh, there. And um, I sat with her and, and the, it didn't start yet. And she said, uh, what other university can do this? Hmm. You know, we're here on the land. We have this land and we have this space and we have a Sundance going to start soon what other university across Canada could do this and I'm like I don't know you know but it was it was just so beautiful because they have the space there to create opportunities for our communities and our people for ceremony mm-hmm. I think that um, First Nations University the, the main campus in Regina could but it's this gorgeous building on a on a on a field and so you know I mean if, if, if there was a Sundance, there is space for a Sundance, but then, you know, you'd have all these spectators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They really need to build a forest on that land. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, and I've been out there and it is, it is beautiful. Um, and just listening to what you were saying, Raven, I thought, I thought about, because I mean, we work at McEwen and we're downtown Edmonton, mm-hmm. right? And so we are, we don't have the, the land base, like we can set up a teepee, we can do all kinds of things uh, there, but we don't have, so my question is, I'll ask the question, is when we are teaching, so for myself, when I'm teaching in, in, in my classrooms in these, you know, c- cement walls and, you know, this big building, and we talk about indigenous knowledge in these spaces, and we're teaching future social workers about, you know, the colonial history and the relationships between settlers and indigenous peoples. And then all of the, you know, the events that have led us to where we are today, et cetera, et cetera. How do we even talk about colonizing social work education or practice when we are teaching within a colonial structure, one of the oldest colonial structures in Canada. And that's always been, that's my, that's my, yes. And that's my big question, Raven. I, I think about that all of the time. Am I really decolonizing education? Like, I just, I question that, Raven. Do you okay. have, do you have answers for me? <laughs> Can you help her? Help me, please. Well, my child. <laughs> the, the, the stars 
you know, and, and it's always good to, 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 to laugh and, and, uh, you know, poke fun at ourselves. <laughs> we can't laugh at ourselves. We're in big trouble. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And you know what? I think that that's the next, I think that's the revision to the definition. Hmm. So the definition is that, you know, we, we, um, we practice social work, generalist social work practice, mm-hmm. but it's, it's sort of framed and uh, nested within the most important aspect, which is our, uh, is our spiritual, epistemological, ontological, axiological, methodological um, knowledge. Mm-hmm. And because it is nested there, it requires us as individuals to to do certain things, which is uh, move along our healing journey, our wellness journey, to mature as human beings, to become uh, to become adults. <laughs> you know, and what does that entail? Um, so that we go out there and we don't create harm. Yeah, and that we we do we put into effect uh, what the elders wanted, which was indigenous people to to help in quotations uh, or support our own people mm-hmm. because the Western system that we are now sort of captive to mm-hmm. <laughs> um, isn't helping. It's, it's a, it's a charade. It's a hmm. charade of something. And really it's, I think it's just social control. It always has been because we know that, that our lives as indigenous people, the indigenous body is a, is a contested political and socioeconomic site. Yes. Um, I mean, basically, they want our land and resources. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we need to be controlled. And what better way to control us than by presenting it as helping? You know, here hmm. we will, we will help you. We'll put you on these reserves, and then we'll help you to adapt and adjust, and we'll, and so on. Um. Yeah. So that's the definition, and I think that you've given me the answer, the revision, and the revision is. Um, is that that very issue around the connection to the land? Mm-hmm. So land-based social work education, mm-hmm. and and lots of uh, programs are starting to do that. They're starting to incorporate uh, land-based practices. So I know at Wilfrid Laurier they start their masters masters of Indigenous social work. They do a culture camp. Manitoba mm-hmm. followed suit. They do a a mass a, a culture camp as well. And it's a way for people to come together. And I mean, you know, we, we know what this is like. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of, I think lots of non-Indigenous people don't really, don't really get it until they actually have that experience. Oh, and then they go, oh, this is awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> we get to, we get to really sort of be ourselves and, and, you know, and the land tests you. <laughs> Being out there, uh, you know, not having all the luxuries, you get tested and then, and then it expands your character. And that's what that's what our ceremonies do, right? They take us out of our comfort zones. They expand our character. They test us. Mm-hmm. I think in the Western world, the only <clears throat> the only an- analogous activity that I ever did that, that tested me at the same level as fasting and sun dancing and and some of the ceremonies, even some of the hot sweat lodges I was in, the only an- analogous activity was uh, basic training in the military. Huh. And, you know, I did that when I was, you know, like 18. And that was really, really great pe- preparation because um, because it's tough to, and it's sort of, it's bizarre to make an analogy between our ways, our ways of being in the world with one of the most colonial ins- institutions <laughs> or activities of colonial institutions. But, and I and I'm, don't subscribe to, you know, that I don't condone the military in any way because uh, you have to kill people, right? But, um but the basic training is is what it teaches you to do is to do what you're told, <laughs> yeah, and to to step up, mm-hmm. to you know to overcome your whining and your complaining and all the things that your mind tells you you can't do and you don't want to do, mm-hmm. and do it anyways, like mm-hmm. a fifty mile force march. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we encounter that same tension when we're in a sun dance, mm-hmm. right? staying there. And we're, Praying and saying, "Why am I here? What am I doing?" <laughs> Who in their right mind would stand here praying to this pool? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But we know the euphoria and the, I mean, the endorphins kick in when we're done and we know what we've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, we've accomplished the, one of the greatest struggles, mm-hmm. which is overcoming our, the barriers that we implement for ourselves. Yes. <laughs> our own personal obstacles that we set in the way. Right. And if we don't do that, then we suffer. Mm-hmm. We suffer through that whole thing and we may finish it, but you know, we'll feel resentful and pouty and cranky and uh and then the next time we'll have to do it do it again until we until we get it yeah and this is the this is the really profound you know these are the profound aspects of our of our ceremonies and our protocols there's a reason behind what we do there's incredible teachings behind those things Mm -hmm. and uh so i think that one of the you know, the strongest, the best ways of doing that is to get people out on the land. So, you know, it's something that I've been thinking about too. So last, uh, last year, it came up on my Facebook feed, you know, one of those memories. And it was, um, I took my, I took a a graduate class and none of them were indigenous, but uh, it's advanced issues in indigenous social work or something like that. Anyways, I took them out to Wanaskewin, which is one of our sort of it's a traditional sort of winter gathering place of of the people traditional people from this area so the Cree and um they have uh they have some great people there who will like they they taught us the stick game no it wasn't stick games it was um what's it called it's it's actually in Cree it's the testicle game right so it's like Oh yeah. In back in the old days, they used to use like um, hide, and it's joined, and then and it's stuffed with whatever. Yeah. So it's like two two round <laughs> objects. <laughs> we're we're watching it. we're watching Raven's hands <laughs> trying to describe. And it's attached, right? Attached, and and then you have a stick, and you, you play in teams. <laughs> oh my god, the game is so funny because. It, and this is the this is what I love about our culture, right? Is um, we were never we always sexuality was always something that we we have fully embraced. I mean, mm-hmm. you only have to look at our population statistics to know that we're very fond of our sexualities mm-hmm. and um, and and humor. We find lots of humor in those things. So here we have this 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 game that goes way way back in time and. When you're playing it, sometimes it's hard to play because you're so, you're laughing so hard because there's so many obstacles. I mean, there's so many op- opportunities, you know, for for humor. Uh, yeah. And you took a group of graduate students up. Those balls. <laughs> those balls up over there. <laughs> if you don't have a chance to play it, play it because it's so much fun. Yeah. So we, we did that, and then uh, we did some arrow, some spear throwing mm. through a hoop. Through a hoop, so, so she would throw the hoop, and they're different sizes. Start with big ones to make it easier, and then they get smaller and smaller, right? <clears throat> and just being out there for that that brief amount of time, really, you know, it, it, it the group became very cohesive, and and we all got to see each other in a different in a different context and a different element. And, um, and, you know, when I went to culture camp in my undergraduate, it was really profound. And the, the older I get, the more I appreciate being outside. And so outside mm-hmm. is, you know, my playtime. Mm-hmm. And of course I'm in the city, but <clears throat> I still get to be out. And I have lots of cedars uh, surrounding my yard, really, really tall ones. And I'm starting to develop a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like mm-hmm. feeding them and watering them and talking to them and mm-hmm. yeah, just uh, and even the dandelions. You know, I got some really profound um, insights the other day because I have a lot of dandelions in my yard and I don't I don't want to spread them because my neighbors they have like these pristine lawns, right? <laughs> and so and so I made an offering and you know I told them I needed to pull some of them up and mm-hmm. and that I would learn about dandelion root. And how I could continue to to use what they have to offer, and I had to explain that I, you know I might need to wait until to do that until till next summer because of the <clears throat> the previous owners um, used pesticides. 
But, you know, so as I was pulling some of them up, it's like some of those are grandmothers and grandfathers. And they go really, really deep into the earth. Mm -hmm. And they're very, I mean, some of the roots come up and they look like people. Hmm. Look like little beings. And and then other ones come up and they're, you know, it's just like a little skinny rat tail. You know, those are really young. And and they were even teaching me about which were male and which were female. I mean, it was just really, if if you listen and pay attention out on the land, I mean, it's amazing the things that you can learn. Hmm. And for me, as an Indigenous person, that was an important, it's an important process because I can't go, just go out and start willy-nilly digging up things, plants that I don't want. Mm-hmm. I need to develop that relationship and have that, have that communication and interaction. Mm-hmm. And those are, you know, because that, that then, um, I learned a long time ago that the way we do anything is the way we do everything. And so, you know, if I can be so callous and, and, cruel and disruptive to to a a plant that you know western society calls a weed then how am i going to treat human beings Hmm. we need to be thoughtful in in all the things that we do and so you know the depth of our teachings is really really profound and if we don't have that connection to the land if we don't have that way of of in in incorporating ceremony and the and the incredible teachings that go along with those then we're missing we're missing the opportunity to to share that with the young people, and I really think that the the tragedy is that it, it, ultimately we are we're omitting a tremendous amount of information that as Indigenous people we need to become grown ups mm-hmm. and to become mature, healthy, effective grown ups. Mm-hmm. That's so amazing. You know what? We're looking at each other and you could probably see us because we're looking at each other. But <clears throat> just an hour before your interview, we uh, interviewed Dr. Kathy Absalom from Wilfrid University and Wilfrid Laurier University. And uh, it's just like you guys are just connecting in, mm-hmm. in the not that you're saying the same thing, but the same connections of um, extending what you are both sharing with us. Um, and it's just, it's, it's amazing, um, with the connections that we're making with, Mm -hmm. uh, the teachings that you're both sharing with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have the opportunity to, I have the opportunity to, um, teach in their, in their, uh, they have a, like an institute Mm -hmm. where they teach both Indigenous and non-Indigenous educators, uh, about Indigenous social work education, pedagogy, really, how to teach, how to how to understand how to indigenize. And so I, I have the opportunity to teach a, a module in that class. And I've known Kathy for a very long time. And um, yeah, she's, she's definitely one of my, my teachers, one of my colleagues, comrades in arms. <laughs> <laughs> comrades in spirit. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I want to go back a, a little bit, uh, Raven, when you were talking about, those games that you were playing with the with the students and it it reminds me of um so uh, we were uh, terry was was uh dancing this this past weekend and i went to the sundance on sunday and on the last day and and uh i love what i love about our ceremonies is that and late vincent steinhauer used to say this all the time he used to talk about when kids play around lodges, don't stop them. If they're not intruding, if they're not, you know, knocking anything over, let those kids play near that lodge because through play, they learn about our teachings. And so as I was sitting out there and I was listening to the songs and I was with one of my sisters and our kids were sitting with us, but out in the the distance, there was a camp and there was a group of young men and they were playing football, they were throwing frisbees, they were laughing and having a great time. And I just thought when I was watching them, I'm like, and I remember being a a little girl and going to Sundance when my dad was Sundancing and going and playing with my cousins. And those songs are always in the background. You could be throwing the football, but in, in your viscerally, you're hearing those songs, you're hearing the rhythm, 
you know, you're, you're dancing along too. Yes. And so I think it's, you just reminded me of that when I was sitting yesterday, when you were talking about fun and play and, and, and how you can, how we learn there too, right? It's, you know, I think a lot of people have an idea about our, our ceremonies, especially if you haven't gone to a ceremony before, like we used to bring uh, non-Indigenous folks out to lodges and they would come in and they were really serious, you know, like they were really, <laughs> and then the elder would start cracking jokes and they're like, oh my gosh, should I laugh? Like, I don't know, do I laugh? <laughs> Just real scared. I know. <laughs> and I always do. I know. And I always say to our students. because It's because they have the rules around the silverware, right? Yes. And any culture that has rules around which fork you should eat yeah. when you've got a choice of three. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're weird. but it but it's it's interesting because again i think that that you know and i and i say to my students all the time if if an indigenous person cracks a joke with you or if they call you deadly just know that you're in you know you're in you're in and you're good you're real good yeah you're just deadly boy and and it's when they start cracking jokes at you. That's where they want to build that relationship. They want to build trust. And so, you know, and, and knowing that that's part of our... And we talked about this with Dr. Michael Yellowbird. We talked about the importance of humor and what happens in our brains when we use humor. And so, uh, yeah, your story about the, the balls, <laughs> the testicles, it reminded me of this. Amber wants to play. <laughs> I'm going to come down there and I want to learn. <laughs> oh, shoot. Now I don't know what we were talking about. Oh, yeah. Indigenous social work. <laughs> well, and humor and humor. And so, um, you know, I, I just have these different, you know, memories of, of different instances of, uh, you know, humor can be used in lots of ways and, and it's not always good. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, and I've seen elders who are really, really skilled and it's not just that they're funny. Mm-hmm. It's that in terms of mm-hmm. human, human nature and personal and personality and personality psychology. Um, I've watched some elders who are masterful <laughs> in using, in using humor and kindness and gentleness to really support people in their journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, injecting humor at certain points to to shake people out of that you know real seriousness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So Ray- yeah, it's. Um, I've been thinking a lot about our knowledges in terms of human development and growth and maturity. Hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I ask groups I work with and students always they're I consider them one of the groups I work with is uh, what does it mean to be an adult? Because it's not something that in our Western society we think about. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I get people to think about the, you know, the four directions model, the medicine meal, will model, how I, I mean, I don't really subscribe to it, but in terms of a, in terms of sort of a cognitive map, it's really, really useful. So the mentally, emotional, spiritual, physical, if you think about what does it mean to mature on each of those levels, what is, what's involved? Mm-hmm. What is the process? And um, yeah, it's just a really, it's, it's really important. Mm-hmm. It's really important for us to, uh, to draw upon, to, to reflect upon, you know, some of these things that our elders do, uh, like the use of humor, the use of kindness, gentleness, and, you know, even ceremony, allowing children to play, you know, just leaving children to play outside of, you know, in, in our ceremonies. When I first reacculturated, I thought, oh, they're so badly behaved, these kids, right? Because mm. I was raised in the, you know, don't, don't be seen and don't be heard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a good child. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm older and much wiser, I see that there's, there's, and we still have this sort of ebb and flow in terms of how we raise our children that 
when they're young, you let them, you let them run like kittens and puppies, right? They just, <laughs> they do their thing. And then as they get older, it's like, we, we know when, when the right time is for them to, you know, to be able to hear even the message of don't go around that fire. And, and this is why. And then at some point, when the children become older, if they've been part of that world, then they, they start to become curious, right? Because growing is, is when you're a kid, you're sort of unconscious, but then you get older and you start to look around, get curious about what's going on. And then they'll come and start to learn. Mm-hmm. And then when they get to be a certain, you know, they get to be a certain age at puberty and just past, then, you know, I just, I just have this image of a young person sort of standing there being curious and, you know, seeing an elder say, you know, pick up that shovel there and, and help them bring those, those hot stones or, you know, get that broom and sweep those ashes over there. Mm-hmm. And boom, that's how it starts. They, from that moment on, they have that, mm. that responsibility, but also that privilege. Yeah. And it's, and it's very, it's very organic. You know, it's a very mm-hmm. indigenous yes. <laughs> way yeah. of doing things. And we understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so for, for me, I mean, it's as, as a, as an adoptee, as a 60 scoop person, I was given this tremendous gift. It's not one I would wish on anyone because it wasn't that much fun. <laughs> but I was given this tremendous gift of, of growing up in the in that white world. So I learned all the rules and I learned I learned a lot of stuff. And most importantly, I learned how different it is from an indigenous world. Hmm. For just every, everything about it. And for a long time when I was young, now it happens seamlessly, but for a long time when I was young, I would, I would actually have to do, I would feel a shift in my brain when I went from my Western worldview to my indigenous worldview. And sometimes I would almost feel dizzy. Hmm. And again, now it's, it's seamless, but, but, and, and I call it, you know, it's a liminal space. So it's a space in between two sort of different realities. Hmm. That's where I grew up. And it's a very lonely place to be. But one of the advantages is that um, I really like working with uh, non-Indigenous people because I can translate a lot of ideas mm, for them. Yes. And I have to slow things down, not because uh, generally, you know, they're less intelligent, but they don't know. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a lifetime of of ceremony and and culture and protocols and teachings you know, even if it's, even if it's, you know, urban Indian, some, you know, we, we, somebody will come for tea, we learn something profound, you know, we go to a ceremony, we learn something profound. So it's, a, it, you know, so a little bit piecemeal sometimes, but, uh, but then we also have our dreams and our own ceremonies and that sort of thing. They don't have that. And so I really do, you know, have to take baby steps and try to, one of the first things I do is try to um, take them through a paradigm shift. So I use a number of different sources, but one of the one of the ones I like to start with is um, it's a TED talk, and it's a woman. Uh, it's called. Um, she had a she's a brain scientist, and she had an aneurysm, hmm. and she stayed conscious throughout. But what happened when she had this aneurysm is. It was on the left side of her brain, and so it, sh- it literally shut down her left side, which is the linear, logical, language side. And she had an opportunity to experience, experience the world through the right brain, which is the more holistic. It's the spiritual, the connectedness. Um, and visually, I mean, she had all sorts of vis- amazing vis- visual experiences. Um, her name has 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 fallen away at the moment, but oh, it's called. Uh, she wrote a book called My Stroke of Insight, and her name is Jill Bolte Taylor, B O L T E Taylor T A Y L O R. And her TED talk, um, she just she describes what happened and the whole process of you know going to the hospital and her her awareness of that when she was in the hospital 
it was like her her brain was her left brain was starting to shut down but so she would pop into the linear part and then she would start to become really fretful oh no what am i going to do about work and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and then it would shut down and she'd be like oh she would just be one with the universe (laughs) (laughs) and the magnificence of the universe (laughs) yeah And I relate to that as an adoptee. <laughs> and there's really two ways of being, right? That's uh, it's like, oh my God, I have all these things I have to do. And the other one is everything will happen when it's supposed to. Hmm. I love that. And I'm just going to go and have a little smudge. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm still going to step up and do these things, but worrying isn't going to help it happen any faster. It's not going to help my help me clean up my office. Yeah. Um, and so one of the questions she asks at the end of that TED talk is, what if we had a world where, where we experienced our connectedness with each other, where we recognize we're just, we're one, we're all related, not, not only with each other, but every single thing in the cosmos, in the universe. She said, wouldn't it be amazing? Hmm. <laughs> and... And she said, you know, if you had to choose, I know what I would choose. And, and, and I show that because what she's articulating is an indigenous mm-hmm. worldview. Mm-hmm. We have, we have, of course, we have our left, our left brains. We have our linear, logical, you know, um, ways of thinking. But we, I believe we are right brain dominant. Mm-hmm. And... And that, and that we always have been, that we don't, we, we don't, or we didn't make, we didn't make decisions or create systems or structures mm-hmm. only from a left brain. Right. That we, that we, 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 we had a balance of both. And, uh, and we, there's so many examples in, in our indigenous world, even now, urban, you know, contemporary indigenous world where we could, we could have million endless examples of of how this is true mm-hmm. and uh and i think that it's really the way that we live and it and and i and i also you know when i hear people like david suzuki say that uh, indigenous people are going to save this planet mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because we recognize that we we are the planet mm-hmm. we are the earth we are the plants. We are related. They they're here to teach us mm-hmm. as much as we're here to you know make use of them, and uh, and we have these tremendous responsibilities. Right. And and here we are, you know, coping with a a very destructive, very destructive populations who don't understand this, yeah. who don't understand that if you're standing on the end of a plank, you don't saw. <laughs> The wood between right. <laughs> between where the plank is attached and where you're standing, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's going to be consequences, right? Mm-hmm. And so the destruction of the earth is is the same way, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we have we have those teachings in our languages, in our different cultures about what we are supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do, right? And as adults, you know, we have free will, yeah. so. So how do we how do we control ourselves then? And we have these teachings. We have these teachings. How do we control ourselves? How do we mature? How do we become ethical, moral, responsible? Um, yeah, and this is, you know, I work in a primarily Western system. I mean, it, interesting. We have some amazing scholars in my faculty. We have, I think, like we're among the most uh, indigenous yes. populated faculties in Canada. Yes. Um, but you know, it's it it it's going to take some time to going to take some time to uh, to help people to to learn. They've got to want to. They've got to want to, right? It's like we don't force young people. Well, some people do, but generally, you know, young people will come to ceremony when they're ready. Mm-hmm. If they've been if they've been exposed to it, they're they're more willing to. But it's the same thing, you know. I. I I have this knowledge I'm willing to share. I have resources I can help any of my faculty colleagues with, um, you know, with their course outlines in any topic in social work. I've got kind of a library up here in the brain. Um, but I'm not going to force it down their throats. Yes. When they're ready, when they're ready, they'll come mm-hmm. and yeah. ask me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I love and I'll that. I'll just keep doing, yeah. keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that. And I think one of, you know, working at McEwen University, one of the really, um, you know, one of my really, I call them friends, my non-Indigenous faculty or staff there that um, are my friends were ready and were willing and were there uh, welcoming me at the university when I started, but engaging in building a relationship. Yeah. And that's, and I love how you... Uh, shared that with us today. Yeah. Um, uh, so as we wrap up, Raven, uh, is there any last comments that you would like to share with our listeners? I really like it, the energy that you have from your ceremony. Mm, I could see, like, when you came on, it was like, whoa, there's a, there's a, there's the light right there. <laughs> <laughs> She has an angel uh, right here, eh? It's, the it's halo. The glow. It's the glow. It's the glow. And uh, it's beautiful. It really, you know, it, it, it brings emotion up for me because um, it's been a hard road, man. And so when I see young, young scholars doing amazing work, taking care of, taking care of business, um, I just feel really, really, I feel comforted. Hmm. And I'm excited. I'm excited about what you're going to do. Write, publish, get your thoughts out there, get your work out there. If you need any help, you contact me. Hmm. I'd love to, I'd love to. I'll be there next week. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're leaving right now. (laughs) Don't open your doors unless you want us. Just bring our bags. <laughs> bring our overnight bags. I got a big couch and an extra room. <laughs> uh, and and thank you for saying that, Raven. I think that and one of the things that Terry and I are are really thankful for is is people uh, who have really blazed the trails. And you know, when I thought about this the other day, when I thought about my friend here and I, and how. We have opportunities at McEwen that people are not always wanting to fight us all the time. You know, like we have people who want to work together, who want to collaborate, who want to hear, who want to listen and learn. And it's because of people like yourself and the many others that we've interviewed uh, over the last, you know, six or seven episodes. It's because of folks like you that we don't have to fight this hard. And so thank you for the work that you've done and the work that many others have done to really blaze this trail for us. Um, and, and so it's because of folks like mentors like, like you that we are able to do the work in a way that, you know, people are more, um, they want to work together. Not all the time, but, you know, <laughs> but they're more open to it. So thank you, Raven. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, along those lines, one of the things, one of the sort of roles that you need to step into when you get older, you, you, you two are not there yet, is to take up, to take up that mentoring and that supportive role. And it's something that I've been doing, you know, mm. for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and you do, you're there for people. You're there if they need help with a paper, if they're struggling in their institution, if, you know, whatever it is, you're there. Mm-hmm. and uh, and you support and it's it's just you know it's it, you share um in the western context there's much competition and and even you know our people fall prey to it mm-hmm. um and yeah and so I, I, that's something that uh i'd actually like to write about you know in terms of um and to me it comes out of insecurity really mm-hmm. um but it's it's a measure i think of maturity when you when you do mentor when mm-hmm. you do share openly and freely and you know invite people to take your work and build upon it because mm-hmm. uh, you've you've put it out there in the world mm-hmm. uh, now don't plagiarize it <laughs> <laughs> you credit where credit is due but yeah. build upon it. and so i need to acknowledge that you know i'm not the trailblazer i i i came along when the path had already been had been blazed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, Laurie Gilchrist, Dr. Laurie Gilchrist, you know, one of the first uh, PhD social workers in the country. 
Dr. Richard Vidan, another mm -hmm. trailblazer. Uh, Yvonne House, one of my professors at uh, SIFC. George Inkster, Joan Sanderson, Sid Fiddler. Right? These are these are the trailblazers. Mm. And uh, you know, but back then, Kathy Absalon, she was one of the babies among the group. And she was she was yeah she was just they were much older than her because I think Kathy's even a little bit younger than me. Mm -hmm. So she's been around for a long, long time, lots of institutional memory in that woman. Mm -hmm. um, but those are the ones that really, you know, they created these programs um, and and really had to really had to fight. And some of them, you know, it took a toll. Mm -hmm. It took a real toll. So it's really important to honor those people. And I, Hillary Weaver in the States, you know, uh, Michael Yellowbird, mm -hmm. he's been mm -hmm. you know, done amazing, amazing work. So... Yeah, for me, it's just really important to acknowledge those people who really did blaze the trail mm -hmm. and make it easier. And then, and you know, each each sort of generation, we have different tasks. And my task was the ter the trail's been blazed now. Now you get to sit down and write hmm. and create some stuff that might be helpful for for the next generation. Hmm. And you guys get to implement it mm -hmm. and and run with that. Mm -hmm. You know, running the land based stuff. It's like. This is exciting. This yeah. is exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I love it. Awesome. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, hi, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the gift of humor. I don't think we've laughed this much on an episode before. <laughs> <laughs> so if today's lesson was a... About the testicle game, you know, every time you walk down. <laughs> you got to talk about those balls. Um, and so... So thank you for joining us today, um, and uh, and uh, we just look forward to to continue, uh, you know, working uh, with you and working alongside your work, and and so thank you so much, Raven, for joining us. We really appreciate you. I hi. Hey, oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. Two crees in a pod.